Good afternoon, everyone. Jim Mitchell back with you for another episode of Chicago's Legal Latte. And if you are one of the many people who have listened to this podcast for really the last decade, uh, we've got a different uh, different approach. As for the first time, we're bringing you a video podcast, a new series we'll be doing. So very excited to have this opportunity and share our conversation with you uh, today. And we, we uh, bring in some additional guests as well. And I'm pleased to introduce them as we talk about letters of intent as our primary topic. But first of all, uh, Ted McGinn joins us. Ted is the managing partner at Lavelle Law. You've heard him on many podcasts in the past. So, Ted, very nice to have you. Take a little time. Glad you're here with us today. Jim, thanks for having me. I always enjoy participating in the podcast. Uh, Bill Germanetti is with me. He's a principal at Impact Business Coaching. Uh, Bill, you've got 40 years experience working with small to mid-sized businesses, 20, the first 20 or so in commercial lending, and then really the last 20 as a business consultant. I'm going to be very anxious to hear about that. Your company focuses on fueling rapid revenue growth, building a business of value and legacy, and uh, designing and implementing organizational design. So a lot you can add to our conversation. Bill, thanks for joining us. Nice to have you here. Thank you. And David Gronsky, President, North Coast Capital Advisors. Uh, this is a boutique M&A investment bank working with uh, lower middle market. And, Dave, we're going to talk about uh, a topic today that I'm sure is important to your clients, so I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Good to be here. So I mentioned letters of intent. That's where we're going to start. That's what we want to talk about. Uh, fairly common term, but maybe, Ted, you could start us off from, as always, a legal perspective. When we hear that term, what exactly are we talking about? Well, a letter of intent is a document that buyers and sellers who may have had some discussions about a transaction, they try to put some larger economic terms in writing just to make sure everybody's on the same page. And is this something that sort of takes place before the deal actually goes into a, a, a legal evaluation process? Yeah, I mean, I guess there's probably a, a number of different phases, and Dave and Bill can kind of talk about the early phases before the parties even get to a letter of intent. But once the parties have been talking for a while and they've reached kind of a meeting of the minds on the on the business terms, that's when they proceed to the letter of intent. And then later on, um, they will hopefully proceed to a closing where you have some definitive agreements at closing. And, Bill, I know there's probably plenty of cases in which discussions take place. Uh, people talk about business opportunities. Uh, give me a couple of examples of the times when a, when a LOI might really be uh, a good tool to have in hand. Yeah, thank you. Um, usually, are, are we ready? Are we ready to really talk about a deal? Uh, are we serious? Are we on the same page? And the letter of account is, uh, of intent is a good kind of a test. Are we ready for that stage? And start uh, sharing confidential information. Uh, I think Dave's going to say something a little bit later about the level that he has. But a lot mm-hmm. of times it's kind of like our get started. We're serious. We want to trade some information. Uh, we're going to be careful with it. Um, but it's okay. You know, we're, we're we're not just playing around. We're serious. And, and Ted, when that happens, um, how committed are people? Is this, is this binding? Once you've written a letter of intent, are you kind of in the deal, or is it simply say we'll continue conversation? Well, I think it, it indicates that the parties are serious. Okay, they've mm-hmm. got to the point in time where they want to put something in writing. However, with that being said, I think it's important that the letter of intent is not binding because there's some additional due diligence that the buyer is going to want to undertake to really make sure that, yes, they are ready to, to do a deal. So it's important that it's not binding. Got it. Now, Dave, there's in any deal, and you've, uh, as we said in your introduction, you've dealt with mergers and acquisitions, and I think most of us know there's probably more acquisitions than actual mergers. 
which means there's two parties. There's a buyer and a seller. Let's let's take a look at each one uh, from a perspective of a letter in, of intent. Uh, what's the advantage to a seller? Okay, the seller has control of the transaction up to the point that the LOI is signed. So the seller's got a lot of leverage. Mm-hmm. And this is the place where you're you're actually uh, writing the deal down on, on ink. You've negotiated up to this point over probably a few weeks. Now you're ready to commit. Once the LOI is signed, the leverage goes to the buyer because now the buyer uh, is going to – he could play different tactics to – he could walk away and – sort of push uh, certain terms to the seller. So after the LOI is signed, usually the price doesn't go up, it goes down. So that's why it's important to have, uh, from a seller's point of view, as much on the table and in the deal as possible so that he could uh, maintain the uh, agreed-upon price. I like this discussion because it's interesting to see what the letter of intent means from different professionals in the transaction. You know, me, I'm, I'm the attorney. I look at it from one way. And then Dave and Bill look at it at maybe a different perspective, but it's, it's interesting to hear the different uh, viewpoints. Well, and I'd, I'd like to ask Bill about that because, it, in, in the, as I said, these last two decades as a consultant, if you have a client that comes to you uh, as either a buyer or seller and they say, hey, we're talking, should I be doing this? What, what would you advise and how would you advise them to approach this type of uh, transaction or type of agreement? Well, it's it, uh, internally, it's a good tool, too, uh, to say – what are we talking about? What are the issues? Um, sometimes I have folks that are more sophisticated on one side, and on the other side, they're less sophisticated. I mean, this is the first time they've ever done this um, mm-hmm. or contemplated it. So sometimes uh, maybe there's different versions, but an early uh, version of an LOI can use to what are the terms, what are the issues, what are the, the big stumbling blocks that we have to put on the list to negotiate or, or talk about. Uh, so the a bit of an evening of, you know, what are the issues, what are the topics that we have to solve to try to put a deal together? And I like what Ted said about different perspectives on this. So I'm actually going to go around between the three, but let's each take a turn because um, I'd like to hear your perspective. What, what what should really be in this? How detailed should it be? What's essential or maybe even what should be left out? So, Ted, from a the legal point of view, from the attorney, when you look at the LOI, what are you looking for to be in there? Well, first, got to tell me who I'm representing. Because it makes a difference. <laughs> but no, typically what you're going to see in there, you're going to have, um, you're going to have a mechanism in place for due diligence to begin. So that's when the seller starts sharing some more private, more sensitive information to the buyer. So you're going to want to see some confidentiality language in there so that the seller can be comfortable and can rely upon the fact that that information will be kept confidential. So you want to see that in there. And Dave, what do you think? Oh, go ahead, Bill. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I'm just going to say, uh, I usually catch people, uh, on the upswing, uh, which is, you know, I, I want to sell mm-hmm. one year, five years, 10 years out, uh, usually the five to 10 or they haven't even really thought about it. So more times than not, I'm on the, the buyer side, uh, because we're still trying to build and trying to add assets or capability or cash flow or add to the business model. Um, so that's where where we see it more. Um, and a lot of times, again, this disconnect with like, gee, I didn't even think I was going to sell my business or how do you think about doing that? And getting the topics, there's 
you know, trade name, uh, website, uh, listing, uh, doesn't have to be perfect, but at least, oh wow, we're going to have to have a list and define what those things are. Uh, and even kind of, you know, I like writing the letter first because, uh, it's part of that control piece and kind of control the conversation and, and the, you know, the, the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Dave? Yes, we, we like a robust LOI. Usually we like to have everything negotiated prior to the LOI, and the LOI basically is the roadmap of how we get the deal done. I can tell you from experience where we leave negotiation in the LOI, usually those deals fall apart because the parties can't agree. So we'd like to have a very robust, detailed uh, LOI that uh, communicates the terms of the deal that everyone understands. Usually there's some procedural issues on maybe how to handle a tax matter. Um, With regard to exclusivity, we like to put some milestones in there uh, so that we keep the parties moving on the deal. Sometimes buyers might get sidetracked or start dragging their feet, and uh, if they're not meeting certain uh, milestones, we say the exclusivity could be gone. We could go back out to market. So we like to keep it tight and keep everybody moving. Our uh, topic today is letters of intent here on Chicago's Legal Latte. I'm uh, joined by Ted McGinn, who's the managing partner at Lavelle Law, Bill Germanetti, uh, Principal at Impact Business Coaching, and David Gronsky, President of North Coast Capital Advisors. And we're having a, a nice discussion about some of the things that go into businesses coming together and uh, starting a deal with a letter of intent. Um, we've talked about who needs it, why they need it, when to do it. Um, are there any financial uh, implications here? Uh, is there money that needs to be set aside, earnest money, or, or Ted, is that something that comes later? Well, I think uh, earnest money is something that will, again, also show the seriousness of a buyer. They're going to put some money up. You know, it it's, um, shows that they are really interested in purchasing this business. Uh, the one thing I'd be careful, though, with earnest money, you got to have it clear as to whether or not this is refundable, non-refundable. I think always it's too, it should be refundable, especially if I'm representing a buyer, because, um, again, you don't want to lock yourself in some sort of uh, non-refundable deposit, not knowing what you're getting into, because you may find out later on that the business is not in the condition you thought it was. It's not sure. as it was described to you, and if that is the case, it's perfectly fair and reasonable for that money to be refunded to the buyer. And would these letters normally have a expiration? I mean, do they state that the deal has to be done by a certain amount of time? Yeah, I, I, I would want to echo what David says, keep the parties moving forward. I think having certain milestones, deadlines, timeframes is good for everybody, and especially when you have earnest money, okay? So you want to have uh, the buyer wants to do the due diligence, fine, but let's give the buyer a certain period of time. And when that time period comes and goes, that buyer needs to be able to say, yes, I'm going forward on this, which case that earnest money becomes kind of hard earnest money. Or the buyer's not interested. He wants to back out for some reason and sends notice of termination. They get their earnest money. The parties part their ways. Yeah, there's the letter of intent uh, in my world, which is, you know, companies anywhere from a million in revenues to a couple hundred million in revenues. The um, a lot of people don't have. It's not a cash offer, uh, and so we've got to come up with some funding, or uh, in some cases, uh, maybe some seller funding if they want a higher price, or some contingency to the earnout. You know, they want this price, and you know, um, 
we, we're willing to pay this price if the, if the business is there. Um, so we start working through some of those thought processes and, and um, some of the things we try to listen for is really why is the person selling and try to craft a deal that, that can make sense. And we start exploring that. Um, again, in some of mine, we use a letter of intent to explore some of that a little bit more. Uh, Dave's going to go the other way where it's, you know, he's done a lot of that already um, and really kind of lock it down. Yeah, when we uh, when we get to the letter of intent, uh, we don't always use escrow, and uh, it's really what's the risk in the deal going forward. And uh, typically, by the time we get to the letter of intent, we're at least forty-five to sixty days into a relationship with the parties. And if the parties have been dealing in good faith and are working together, we usually don't uh, pursue the escrow. But if there's uh, if it's not Going well, and we think there might be some risk on on one side with the buyer. We'll we'll put in some escrow constraints. One thing I'll add real quick: uh, I've seen a horror story where if you are going to put down some earnest money, uh, a buyer shouldn't just give it to the seller. Okay, I've seen cases where the seller gets the money, and then the buyer wants to back out, and surprise, surprise, the money is spent. So you want to have some third party hold on to that earnest money. And I assume that's one of the things that, um, Ted, you know, an attorney is going to play a role in. Um, I, I imagine this is not an informal document that gets passed between the two parties. Oh, we'll just work this out. Um, the, the, the need to have an attorney on each side, I think, would be pretty paramount in this situation. Well, I think you got to be careful. I mean, sometimes parties will bypass the professionals. They go on Google, print something up and think that's any letter of intent as good as the other. And that's not the case because you got there's a lot of language, a lot of critical language. If you're not careful, you're going to sign a document that's going to put you in a bad situation. So I think if you're using someone like Dave, someone like Bill, I'm sure they have letter of intents. They understand the way it works. I think that's probably fine. Or get an attorney, have an attorney review it and draft it and make sure whether you're the buyer, whether you're the seller, make sure that you're protected. Well, um, certainly we could go on, I think, uh, quite a while. I've got a few more questions, but uh, I know we want to respect everyone's time. So um, let's let's put an end to it here. I want to thank Ted McGinn from uh, Lavelle Law. And, of course, uh, Lavelle Law, always available at 847-705-7555 or 312-332-7555. And uh, Bill Germanotti, um, Impact Business Coaching, 847 6878. David Gronsky, thanks for being here. President, North Coast Capital Advisors, 312-259-5876. And of course, we always invite you to visit Lavelle Law, where you can find archives of all of our past podcasts, as well as articles, videos, and a lot of information at lavellelaw.com. Thanks to everyone for being a part of the podcast today. And thanks to all of you, Thank you. for watching and being a part of it as well. Thanks. Thank you very much.